The Pastor's Heart. Dominic Steele here. Thanks for joining us. Our first edition of 2020 and we're on the road in Katoomba at the Bookshop for the Church Missionary Society. Big conference here in Katoomba, um, the Blue Mountains west of Sydney, where actually we've been gripped by... Um, massive bushfires in this district um, that have gripped New South Wales and part, large parts of Australia. Although as I drove up uh, last night, uh, there was light rain on the uh, car roof and it was lovely. And uh, today has actually been pleasantly cool. Uh, Simon Manchester is the main speaker at the conference. He's joining us. Simon, it wasn't like that on Saturday night when the conference began. Tell us about Saturday was a it was a scorching day in the Blue yes, Mountains. Yeah, it was a very tough day. I think it was um, mid thirties in the city and probably mid high thirties up here in Katoomba. Mm -hmm. So by the time everybody came, we were all feeling the heat enormously. What was it like teaching the Bible? Two thousand people, thirty nine degrees. <laughs> uh, they were glad that I finished in thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, you've just stepped down from St Thomas's at North Sydney after 30 years in Christian ministry there to the day. Yeah, to the day. 30 at St Thomas's and five before that in Layla Park mm -hmm. and five before that in Curacies. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, as you look back, highlights and stresses, um, positives and negatives, things you rejoice at, things you think, oh... That was a hard season. Yeah, well, I was saying to somebody today at the summer school that um, in the pastoral letters, you get this regular threesome of opportunity for the word, opposition, and then a sovereign God over mm -hmm. the whole thing. And I've just seen that in the scriptures, seen in the book of Acts, and I've experienced it in ministry. Great opportunities at North Sydney, wonderful, mm -hmm. great privilege, but plenty of pushback. And over the whole thing, this gracious, great God rules over it mm -hmm. all. And out of it comes some fruit that lasts, mm -hmm. which is always staggering to us. Mm. Um, on the pastor's heart, we often talk about a journey that God has walked you through that's been a bit of a complex journey. Can you tell, share something from, from some of your time at St Thomas's where it has been hard? Well, I'm trying to think how that works. I mean, when I first got to St. Thomas's, it was a very formal, traditional place, and they didn't really want me to be there. Uh, there were a handful who did, but most of the people didn't. So that was difficult. The first couple of mm -hmm. years was mostly opposition, um, angry letters, you know, occasional visits to the Archbishop to explain myself. What sort of thing? What's it like? What was it like 25 years ago being called into the Archbishop's office? <laughs> um, well, uh, the poor guy, I mean, he asked me to continue liturgical standards. Uh, and there were four Book of Common Prayer communion services when I first came for the first year. And one of them was choral communion. So I thought, I'm got an, bizarre now, I've got it? an evangelical archbishop. He wants me to continue liturgical standards. That means, of course, they should go forwards. And we started to make little changes. And um, that, of course, stirred up quite a lot of sadness and grief for people. And he would be on the end of all the angry letters. But it seemed to me, Dominic, at the time, that it was just irresponsible to conduct a service which was formal, traditional, attracting six people, eight people, in a building that holds 400. 
And why would we, why for the life of we, would we be running services that are pleasing a handful of people and keeping a whole lot away? So we just had to make changes. What sort of things? Well, the formality became a little less formal. Mm -hmm. um, I moved away from preaching the lectionary to preaching the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, we started to introduce things like um, morning tea and um, Christianity Explained. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense in the place that everything was changing and becoming more evangelical and dangerous. I heard a story, I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody told me that you moved a grand piano from one side of the church to the other one inch a week. That's an apocryphal story of um, how to make change, which is that you turn the piano sort of two degrees every Saturday night and nobody notices. But uh, no, that wasn't us. Okay. No. I mean, it was revolutionary for us to ask a preacher to step up from the pew and preach without robes. That was a big change. Mm -hmm. But this was to an evening congregation of eight people. Which, I mean, I remember being a guest there and there's hundreds years later. Yeah. When some changes came, people had been praying, the Lord was kind, and um, things started to grow. Yeah. yeah, We did get the reputation at North Sydney of being the last stop on the road to singledom. So um, I have to say, you know, there was some transfer growth and there were people who were coming who wanted to meet a spouse. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of all that, there was some growth. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in my Christian life, You've been one of the main platform speakers at the big conferences the whole time I've been a Christian. And um, uh, uh, can you talk to me a little bit about what work you do as you come to prepare at a big platform event, at a big conference? I don't think it's very different from preaching Sunday by Sunday for me. Um, and for the last 15 years, preparing a sermon has taken considerable care because it then ends up on the radio and mm -hmm. goes anywhere. Um, so when I come to speak at something like Katoomba, it seems to me that it's just a very responsible thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to wing it. I'm not going to turn up and chat. I'm not going to go off the cuff. Um, preparation for me has always been many hours and big priority. Mm -hmm. um, let's drill down onto this week because you're giving seven major addresses this week at this CMS summer school um, and you've chosen to do 1 Timothy. How did you end up doing 1 Timothy because that's not something I've heard tackled at a major conference before. Yeah. Um, first of all I was greatly helped listening to some talks 20 or 30 years ago by Dick Lucas mm -hmm. and they were just delightful and riveting and showed me that 1 Timothy is not some kind of textbook for professionals but is actually a wonderful picture of God the Saviour seeking people to be saved. And the more you study the book, as I've been saying in the talks, the more you realise there's a beautiful logic in the book. You know, it starts off with what's our message, and then got, what do we do when we come together, and then who do we put in place, and how do we live a godly life, and what do we do when a crisis takes place, and what are our values, all in the service of the gospel. So I thought, what could be a better book for CMS Summer School? And I had been teaching it with the Cornhill students, and they had been seeing this wonderful, exciting 
uh, heartbeat in 1 Timothy. So, plus I thought, to be honest, it would be good to look at chapter 2 and make a kind case for complementarianism. Mm -hmm. I thought that would be worth doing. And I've, I'm also excited in every chapter to see that it is not just the presenting issue, but there is a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. So with the widows, it's not just widows, there's a bigger issue. And with the money in chapter 6, it's not just the money, there's a bigger issue. So... Okay, th just jump. What's the bigger issue in chapter 5? Can you steal some of your thunder a couple of days earlier with the widows? Yeah. Well, basically what um, Paul keeps saying is, I want you to get this organised so that there isn't blame and slander in other words, Paul is saying, you know, here's a little crisis that's blown up. What's the important thing? Well, the, the small issue is really to look after the widows. The big issue is how do we make sure the gospel doesn't get um, steamrolled, um, blocked, um, shot, torpedoed, and pre prevented from going out. Mm -hmm. When you get to chapter 6, it looks as though it's all about money, but actually what Paul's doing is he's lifting the lid and saying, you know, where is your heart? Where is your world? Mm. Where is your kingdom? Mm. Are you really people of this world or are you of the next? Mm. And of course, the false teachers are very much of this world. Um, when you, um, uh, one of the things that's been really clear listening to the three talks you've done so far is how much background reading you've done in preparation for this, far more than I could aspire to on a week-by-week -week Sunday talk. Can you just open the lid on your preparation for this particular conference? So what commentaries have you read? Yeah. Well, in the past I've read um, Mounts and Yarborough and, and I read some of the commentaries like um, Stott and Jensen and um, Calvin and Swindle. You know, a real mix mm -hmm. of commentaries, mm -hmm. and there may be some others. Fee, Gordon Fee's commentary mm -hmm. on the pastorals is very stimulating. But I think, you know, I could have come up with an empty notepad and spent a week just writing what I thought would be pastorally useful from what I knew of 1 Timothy. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that this is a, a serious convention and needs some good work to be done. And so I did try to do some work through the year, just a little bit on the side each week, you know, maybe two hours mm -hmm. of reading through the commentaries and taking notes. So that when I got to the end, I had a whole lot of notes, tried to pull it together. Two hours a week planning ahead from early in the year. I mean, uh, how do you manage, I mean, I'm off on a different tangent, but how do you plan your diary as a week? Uh, I mean, obviously you've retired and everything's changing now, but if you just take us back to six months ago at St Thomas's, what's a week look like in your pastoral diary? Well, the general principle is, you know, to be at the desk in the morning and to be out with people from lunch through the afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's my aim. And then as few meetings in the evening as possible. Um, but because, um, you, like you, I tend to give more than one talk a week, and sometimes it's two and three and mm -hmm. four, um, the morning preparation really is important. And as best I can, I try to put off things like emails in the morning because they just take me off on other tangents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the plan. It's basically uh, preparation in the morning, and one of those mornings might be two hours in one Timothy, just locking it in each week so that by the end of the year, 
it's had maybe a hundred hours of reading mm -hmm. and some of that is sort of working on the translation and then working on the commentaries and thinking it through. Mm. Now, 1 Timothy, I feel, has been a much under-preached book in our circles and I suspect it's because we're scared of chapter 2. Um, do you want to just talk about that for a bit? Because you preached it this morning. Yeah. Um, I am convinced that uh, the plan of God to have some order in the church and the home is a beautiful plan and therefore I didn't want to give the impression that 1 Timothy 2 is a passage for us to be embarrassed about. Mm. Um, it is a gift. And the other thing, Dominic, is it comes a few verses after we're told in chapter 2 that God is our saviour and desires all people to be saved. And you made the point this morning, that's actually the, the controversial verse. Yeah, that there is one God and one mediator is the most controversial thing in, two, in 1 Timothy. Because the idea to tell the world that we have truth and there is one God and there is one mediator cuts across a massive amount of the world. Mm. The question of roles in the church may be seen by Sydney left-wing journalists as just a piece of foolishness or nastiness, but it's not as big an issue as the one God, one mediator. Mm. That's the most controversial thing. So I wanted people to see that 1 Timothy chapter 2 is about God our Saviour, wanting people to be saved, and that the section about roles and order is in the service of the gospel. It's not contrary to the gospel. He hasn't saddled us with a rotten passage to make the job more difficult. He's given us a way of reinforcing that he is a wise and wonderful God by having some order in the church and some order in the home, which speeds on the gospel. Mm. And you made it... Well, he had a lovely point this morning that the born-again community, and I mean, just that line, the born-again community, I, I, I thought that was an inspired line, you know, just to... Well, I think I said that because we can't expect people who are outside of Christ or hostile to Christ to appreciate what it means to be submissive to Christ mm -hmm. and to his word. You know, we're just never going to get the Sydney Morning Herald turning around and saying, oh, that 1 Timothy 2 passage, 1 Timothy 2 passage has turned out to be really great. It's not going to happen. Mm. But you said it's actually, it's beautiful. Mm. How is it beautiful? Because Jesus has shown us that submission, um, order in the Trinity is beautiful. Um, there's nothing weak or inferior about him submitting to the Father, submitting to the Word, submitting to the cross. That is a very great and wonderful submission. Mm -hmm. And therefore he has elevated the whole idea of submission into something really terrific. And if I submit to him as my king, it's a wonderful thing. It's not a crushing thing. And if I submit to his Word, it's a wonderful thing. And if the church submits to his Word, it's a wonderful thing. It'll be healthy. Mm -hmm. And how is it beautiful if men grasp this teaching? Well, because if men begin to take the role of loving leadership, it will be so liberating for the people under their care. It will be so kind. It will be so patient. It will be so thoughtful. It will be of such good initiative that the people who are under the care will say, we love this. 
You had a lovely story along those lines this morning. Do you just want to share that for us here? Uh, well, yes. Ha you know, having lunch with a guy who had put all this into the too hard basket and, like so many, had left the spiritual stuff to the wife. And uh, talking to him, I said to him, you know, you mustn't wait until you're a great Christian. You've got a great saviour. So go home and um, take a lead. You know, tell your wife it's time we should pray together. So obviously he did, and the next Sunday, I didn't know what had happened, but the next Sunday I'm shaking hands at the door. His wife literally jumped up in the air and threw her arms around my neck and just said, thank you, thank you, because she, she had had him come home and start to be a loving leader. And how is 1 Timothy 2 beautiful for women? Well, I mean, you've just told me in a sense, but um, what about the... The verse 11, that I do not permit, how, how is that beautiful? Um, well, first of all, Paul says he wants the women to learn, and that's absolutely right and wonderful. Um, he, however, says that when it comes to the teaching in the church, he's expecting good men to do it well, and that should be a blessing for everybody. Um, so although the women might say, that's the one thing I want to do, the Apostle Paul says it's not for the women to do. And I think it's like Genesis 3, Dominic, we've got to see, or Genesis 1, 2 and 3, we've got to see that God has given us a thousand trees to enjoy in the garden. But when he says there's one thing which is not for you, we've got to get to the point of saying we trust you mm. on this. And um, it's not as though I must have that tree. And if I don't have that tree, then God is bad or terrible. Uh, we've got to get to the point of saying when God says this is right, this is not, we trust him. And I think when women uh, find that men lead lovingly in the home and in the church, they are wonderfully blessed. Mm. So, I mean, I've been teaching this for 30 years at North Sydney. Uh, it may be that people don't come and tell me uh, how frustrated they are, but I've had no complaints for at least 20 years. Mm -hmm. The men take a lead. The church, probably like yours, has got lots of men mm. who love to take initiative, mm -hmm. and the women love them taking initiative. They feel secure, they feel loved, looked after, yeah. and loved. Mm. Yeah. And you look at that, you think that is just so culturally different to the brokenness out in the world. Yeah. And yeah. If I do it God's way, it'll go better. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to lurch into chauvinism. We don't want to lurch into feminism. The Bible walks this beautiful road of cooperation. Mm. It's like, you know, in the cricket team, you don't expect the captain is always abdicating his job. You don't want him to be fighting every player for the leadership. Mm. If he does his job well and the team trust him, it's a fantastic combination. Mm. Mm. It works. It mm. functions. Um, how's it gone? I mean, you've got a, it's a different environment teaching on a book like 1 Timothy at the conference up here to teaching Sunday by Sunday in church. What would you be, your advice be to the minister who'd be listening to us now and maybe think, well, maybe I should give 1 Timothy a run in 2020? Well, I think 1 Timothy makes a fantastic series. Um, I'm jumping a chapter, a session, mm. which is quite quick. Yeah. Whether you'd want to do six sermons in 1 Timothy or whether you'd like to do yeah. 12, I don't know. But I, I think it's a great book to teach because it tells the congregation about how great and gracious God is, the plan of salvation, 
and how the family of God works mm. and what it's doing in the world. So it's a wonderful book to mm. teach. When I did it, I went, I mean, I went through more slowly than six talks, but um, I actually did these, the verses of the verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, actually verse 8 as well of 1 Timothy 2, one week of verse. Well, that's a very brave thing to do. Um, very brave thing to do because you've um, stretched out the challenging section um, and, and dealt with it very thoroughly. I yeah. think that's great. Well, I mean, when you think about it, there was the, I mean, what a thing if we can get men to pray in mm. our church. I mean, as you said this morning, that's a revolution, you know. Mm. And then actually people in our area, if they are going to run the a line different to the society, they need the reason why in detail. And so yeah. to do the why in detail on, on yeah. creation and for yeah. all. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Some of the quotes that I read at the end I think are very, very significant. Okay. Can, you, can you do any of them off the top of your head? Yeah, well, I mean, remember what Claire Smith said, that this um, section of 1 Timothy 2 is um, it's certainly confronting, it's countercultural, but it's not complicated. Mm -hmm. We mustn't pretend that these verses are so difficult that they just have to be put into the too hard basket. If we put these verses off, we'll play games with other verses, and we shouldn't. We should look at them. But the other verses from people like Mary Anders and Carrie Sandham who are asking questions as to whether the ordaining of women is helping the mission of the church and whether the feminizing of the church is helping the reaching of men. Mm -hmm. These are big questions, big mm. questions. Mm. And I don't think we could say that giving everybody the same roles is really helping the winning of the world. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've gone against the word of God at that point, and it's showing. Mm. Mm. What, I mean, one of the arguments that you just alluded to in your presentation this morning that might be argued against you is, well, what about the benefit that I got from this woman teacher? Or what about the benefit of a woman missionary? And you just addressed that in a really helpful pastoral way. I'm just wondering, you can explore that a bit for us. Well, I think wherever somebody, uh, a good godly lady has stepped in and done the work, if she was doing the work because there was nobody to do it, God bless her. Hmm. You know, it's like, um, I was largely raised by my mother, but that's because my father had died. You know, did my mother do the wrong thing? No, she stepped into the breach. Mm -hmm. And where women step into the breach, God bless them. Um, but what I was trying to say is that when the ideal is set forth, there will be some men who will rise up to do the loving leadership. Yeah. Um, and so where women have gone and been pioneers in the mission field, we want to ask the question, where were the men? Mm -hmm. Why did the women go and do this work? Yeah, that's a very rebuking question for the men, I think. Mm. Mm. It is, yeah. Um, what's the plan for 2020 for you? Um, I'll probably hang around your front door and just <laughs> look lonely, look lost. We love that. <laughs> um, I've been very thankful to be given a part-time job at Moore College and it's basically just mentoring students. I don't exactly know what that will look like, mm -hmm. but I presume I'll work things out as I go. And the aim is to help students with their preaching so that they'll think about getting the message right and getting it across. Yep. And not everybody, you know, we, we've all got L plates, yep. but there are not, not everybody is working at getting it right. Not everybody's working at getting it across. How have you 
got better at preaching over the years? How have you intentionally grown yourself as a preacher? First of all, I would never cross the road to hear myself. Second, I feel as though I've got a good sermon coming any day now. You know, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel as though one day, one Sunday, one month, one year, there will be a good sermon. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen one day. And now the funny thing is I've got to the end and I've had all my opportunities. So I don't think we ever feel as though we've nailed it. I think we always feel like we're learners. But the more you do it, the more you realize the treasures are in the text and therefore dig into the text and find what's there and then do your best to express it in a way that people who are listening to you, I don't use the word audience, I think that sounds like um, entertainment, mm -hmm. but your listeners will come with you from the beginning and stay with you right to the end. Yeah. And there is an art to that. How will I get this group to come with me, including the bloke who's just visited with his girlfriend for the first time and he's a plumber? Mm -hmm. How do I get him interested in 1 Timothy 2? And how do I keep him with me? And how do I take him to the conclusion? That's a great challenge. Mm. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us this afternoon. It's a privilege. Thanks. My guest on The Pastor's Heart has been Simon Manchester. Simon's just finished up as the Senior Minister at St Thomas's at North Sydney after 30 years there and is the main speaker this week at the uh, Church Missionary Society, the CMS Summer School for New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory uh, here in Katoomba. You have been watching, the, listening to The Pastor's Heart and uh, just to let you know, coming up over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to Jenny Woodhouse about... Um, domestic violence in clergy marriages and uh, that's going to be a difficult and uh, important topic to talk about. Um, we've got Stuart Piggin coming in to talk about the history of evangelicals uh, ministering in the, the whole area of indigenous people in Australia. I'm looking forward to that conversation and talking leadership with Craig Hamilton the next few weeks on The Pastor's Heart. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.